Wasn't that a beautiful solo Jenny sang? Beautiful words. He loved us from the cross. When some person said, how much did Jesus love me? This much. When he hung on the cross, it was the greatest expression of God's love for the whole world. For you and for me is when he died for us and laid down his life for us. And he will not be fully satisfied. He will not be fully happy until we're all home. Some of the saints have gone before us, and I envy them because they're already there, praising the Lord and with him forever and ever. And we're going to join them. They're going to welcome us in, and we're going to be all together with him. And what a joy and a time of eternal bliss it will be in that day. Shall we just open in prayer? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we thank you for this song. We thank you that it reminds us that Bethlehem was just the beginning and the cross was the concluding joy of your plan of salvation where our Savior laid down his life for us. It was painful. It was difficult. He walked up that Via Della Rosa all the way to the cross of Calvary, was nailed to that tree and bore our sins and rose again and now is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. We just pray, Lord, that you'll humble us this morning, quiet our hearts and teach us what you'd have us to know from your word. We pray, Lord, that you will hide me behind the cross and we pray that Jesus will be glorified that we'll see him today and hear him today and not the words of man. And so we thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Last week in part one of the four faithful sayings, we had the first two. Number one, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I am chief. And what a beautiful verse it is for this Christmas season to remember why Jesus came. He didn't come for his own pleasure. He did not come to be worshipped and glorified on this earth and take possession of the kingdom. His coming into this world was to die for sinners, to die on the cross for us. It is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that he came to save sinners. Secondly, we talked about living and enduring with Christ. If we died with Christ, we also live with Christ. If we endure, we shall reign with Christ. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are faithless, He is faithful. He cannot deny Himself. So those were the first of the four faithful sayings. The first one in 1 Timothy 1.15, the second one in, in 1 Timothy 2.11-13. 2 Timothy 2.11-13. Today we're going to look at the second two. Number three is godliness is profitable for all things. In 1 Timothy 4, 8, and 9. And the fourth one, which is our second point today, we shall be careful, we should be careful to maintain good works. And that's found in Titus chapter 3 and verse 
8. Four faithful sayings. All of them important. All of them a blessing to our souls. So let's look at the first one today. And the first one is, Godliness is profitable for all things. First Timothy 4, 8 and 9. And for those of you who like to exercise, it's not always easy, but for those of you who like to exercise, this is a good verse. And to remember that bodily exercise, as good as it is, cannot compare to godliness. It, Paul writing to Timothy says, For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of this life that now is and that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Some people think that Paul was against exercising. That's absolutely untrue. In fact, the Apostle Paul witnessed the Olympic Games and he witnessed the athletes the boxers, the runners, the wrestlers, and he used them in his writings. He told us that the Christian life is like a race and that the Christian life is like a walk. And so he wasn't against exercise. He doesn't say that bodily exercise is no good or it doesn't have any use or purpose in the life of a Christian that we shouldn't do it, but he says it profits a little compared to godliness, which profits a lot. It profits for everything in our lives. Yes, it is a very important one. And to not be leaguer exercise, as we said, or put it down in any way, there are many benefits to exercise. And Dr. Rudy will know this very well, and he'll probably be saying amen to what I'm, I'm going to say. Because exercise is a good thing. Do you know that your senior pastor gets out and walks most every day about four miles, and he walks through the park there in, uh, in Osage Park where we have our church picnics. Yours truly gets on the treadmill, because when I do it in the morning, it's very cold, and it's very dark, and so I have my treadmill, and I set it on there, and I go at it, and I go about four miles myself on the treadmill. And it is a benefit. It makes us feel younger. It makes us feel healthier. It prevents many illnesses from happening to us or lessens the chances of us of getting them. So it's a good thing. And we also have to be reminded that our bodies are important because they're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so that means we should take care of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We've been bought with a price. Jesus is our Lord, and He's Lord also of our bodies, and we should take good care of our bodies. They are very important. I read an interesting story about a retired couple that decided they would start walking two miles every day. 
And so what they did was they chose a lonely country road to walk on because they knew that they would go out one mile and then they would have to come back one mile to make their, their two-mile journey. Well, the couple was on their first venture and they made it to the one-mile mark and the husband asked his wife, do you think you can make it back all right? Or are you too tired? Oh, no, she said, I'm not too tired. I can make it back fine. He said, good, go back and get the car and come back and pick me up. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> they were all in, but he was a little bit tired. But that's the thing about exercise. You cannot start off too much too soon or you'll pay a high price for it. You have to build up gradually. And then you can, you can walk, you can jog, you can run, you can do uh, exercise classes, whatever it is. And God puts a priority in a different way than the world does. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you ever notice that how the order there is first spirit, then soul, and then body? That's God's priority. The world kind of turns it upside down and calls it body, soul, and spirit. That shows the, the, a wrong priority. The body is important, but it's not as important as the soul, and the soul is not even as important as the spirit. They're all important but they have their priorities. And so we hear he says, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. You know the word godliness, if you look it up in the Strong's Concordance or any other exhaustive concordance of the Bible, you will not find any references to godliness in the Old Testament. It's all in the New Testament. Because those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and have the Holy Spirit have the power from on high to live a godly life. And that's what he wants us to do, is to live godly in Christ Jesus. And the word godliness is found some 16 times in the New Testament, so it's very important. And Paul writing to Timothy says in 1 Timothy 6.11, But you, O man of God... Flee these things. And he's been listing some of the sins of the flesh. And he, and he says, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Godliness is something we need to pursue. It doesn't just happen by itself. We have to do certain things that will promote godliness in our lives. The definition of godliness is the quality of being religious, devoutedly, devotedly religious, and pious. It comes down to being like God. It comes down to being Christ-like in all our words and our actions. Someone once said this beautiful quote. I don't know who wrote it, but it's very true. No higher compliment can be paid to a Christian than to call him a godly person. 
Isn't that true? No higher compliment. If somebody was going to compliment you and you were looking for a compliment, this would be the best compliment. Not you're handsome or you're beautiful or, or, you're this, or you dress well or you're whatever. Those are things that are good. But godliness is the highest form of compliment that a Christian can have. The writer goes on to say this. He might be a conscientious parent, a zealous church worker, a dynamic spokesman for God, a talented leader, but none of these things matter if at the same time he is not a godly person. You know, when I first read that list and that quote, I said, boy, that's, that's the kind of life I'd like to be. I'd sure like to have all those qualities, you know. That's pretty good. To be a conscientious parent, that's good. To be a zealous Christian worker, great. A talented leader in the church, fantastic. But none of those things will matter if our lives are not right if we're not living a godly life, if people can't see the difference in our life, if our neighbors, our friends, our family members don't see anything different about us, it will make no difference. It will be useless. It will be like Solomon said in, in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities. All is vanity if we're not living a godly life. People want to see a sermon, not hear one. They want to see it, our lives backed up by how we live. Wow, that is really quite something. And in the verse right before we read 1 Timothy 4, 8 and 9, in, first, in verse 7 it said, But reject profane and old wives' fable and exercise yourself toward godliness. I love that phrase exercise yourself toward godliness. Notice it's toward godliness. We'll never be perfect in this world. We'll never be sinless in this world. But we're exercising ourselves toward godliness. And as we said, you start off in your Christian life and you grow and you grow and you grow and you want to be a godly person. You want to be a godly man. You want to be a godly woman. You know, growing up, we didn't have all this fancy exercise equipment that we have today. We didn't have all these exercise classes and online this and online that and all these things to, to do. You know what we used to do when I was growing up? And I'm dating myself here. We used to do calisthenics. How many remember? <laughs> don't raise your hand because it will reveal your age. But calisthenics, we used to do push-ups. We used to do sit-ups. We used to do pull-ups, or they called them chin-ups. And we used to do jumping jacks. And we did them every day, and it got us going on the, on the day. At school in the morning, we would start off by doing a lot of the, the calisthenics. It was very, very, very good. And you know, they used to test us to see how well we performed nationally uh, on, on these things. And they would say, how many sit-ups can you do? How many push-ups can you do in a minute or whatever it is? And, and how many jumping jacks and all these things? And they would, they would keep it track of it and they would know how the students did. 
They were very tough on us. Well, one day, and keep in mind, I was in good shape in these days. I was running, I was, I was uh, cross-country and track, and I played some tennis, not on the team, but I used to play tennis and do all of those kinds of things. And so I thought, you know, I was in pretty good shape. Well, when they started the testing, you know, they go from one thing to another, and they don't give you a lot of break in between. You do this, you do this, you do this. By the time I was finished with that, I was so sore that, believe it or not, the next day when I woke up, I couldn't get out of bed. I literally could not get out of bed. I was that sore from doing those exercises. But you know, when we exercise ourselves toward godliness, it is something that is beneficial to us and beneficial to others around us. And I came up with a list of seven things. One, two, three, three, four. Yeah, seven things that we can do spiritual calisthenics to keep ourselves in shape spiritually, not just physically. One is to be in prayer. To be in prayer. Often, every day, in prayer. To read God's Word, to study it, to meditate on it, to memorize it, is, is a way of exercising ourselves spiritually. Spending time alone with the Lord in devotion. And you know, if you have a house full of kids, and it's not easy finding that time, right, mothers? It's not easy, but you've got to have that time with the Lord. You've got to make the time for the Lord, because if you don't, you can see your day disintegrating very quickly in front of your eyes. We need that time with the Lord every single day. Another one is this. Building and maintaining loving relationships with our family and friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's another way that we exercise ourselves to godliness, is to have that, those close relationships with the Lord and with his people. And it's very important in our lives. Witnessing and sharing our faith with others is a form of spiritual exercise. It is a benefit to us so much. Walking by faith and not by sight. It's so easy to walk by sight. How am I doing? Well, is the stock market up? Do I feel good? Are things going well at the job, at work, at home? We shouldn't base how our day is by our circumstances, but by the fact that the Lord loves us and He's given us that day and He's given us things to do. We should walk by faith. And then the seventh one is serving and helping others. You know, when you do that, it's such a blessing. And you know what? You don't even have to consult a physician first. You know, they always have that little disclaimer. They tell you to exercise, right? Start an exercise program, but consult your physician first. Consult your doctor before beginning a a program of exercise. Well, when it comes to spiritual exercise, we don't need to consult a doctor. We know it's good, although we should consult the great physician, right? The Lord Jesus Christ is the great physician, and he will always approve these spiritual exercises for us. But I have a question for all of us today. To ask ourselves, close our eyes and ask ourselves these questions. 
First of all, would someone describe you as a godly person? Would the people you live with describe you as a godly person? Would the people you go to school with describe you as a godly person? Would your neighbors describe you as a godly person? You know, these are sobering questions. And like Bill used to say when we were in the intern program, now you're meddling, brother. <laughs> you stop preaching, and now you're meddling. Because the Lord wants to meddle in our lives. He wants us to be convicted. He wants us to do what is right and to be godly people. He wants us to answer that question for ourselves. Am I a godly person? How could I live a more godly life? How could I draw closer to the Lord? How could I please Him more? And that's what He wants us to do. So that's our first point today. Godliness is profitable for all things. Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all. Secondly, he tells us in Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 to be careful to maintain good works. It says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Did you notice in the two verses we read this morning, the first point and the second point, there's a key word there that are in both of those verses. And it's not faithful, and it's not saying, although they're there too, but who notices the key word that's in both of those verses? Maybe one of the kids. And Ed, maybe you could put both of those verses up. Just we'll give them a little clue there. We'll put both Titus 3.8 up there and also 1 Timothy 4.8 and 9. But there's a key word. Key word there. And what is the key word? I'll give you a clue. It starts with P. Profitable. Profitable. So both of these things are profitable. And so he tells us here that this is profitable for us if we maintain good works. Sometimes we get turned off by the term good works because so many in the world think that they can get to heaven by doing good works. That is impossible. It's absolutely wrong to think we can do anything to merit God's favor at all, period. But good works follow salvation. They don't precede it. And so that's how important good works are to the Lord and to the, to the servants of Christ. But we can put it this way. In the words of a man named Abraham, uh, Emil said, good works are not the cause of our salvation. Good works are the evidence of our salvation. Did you see the difference? It's not the cause, but it's the evidence. If you want to look for evidence of a person being saved, one of them is they begin to do good works. 
to do more for others than for themselves. And that's what it's all about. And he goes on to say, faith always results in good works. Obedience to God is the mark of saving faith. So faith is the most important thing. And faith is the root, and good works are the fruit. And so that's what it is, the difference there. And in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we see that that was God's goal for us right along from our day of our salvation forward. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And it was like Jesus said when we studied about the, Jesus being the light of the world and how we are the light of the world. He said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Yes, it's important to do good works unto others saved and unsaved. In Galatians 6.10 it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. For those of you who have Matthew Henry's writing, he has one volume on the whole Bible and it's excellent commentary. But what he commented was, they must make it their care to maintain good works, not to do them occasionally only. He doesn't want us to do good works for others and help others and serve others occasionally. He wants us to do it constantly. And there's a big difference between constant and occasional. And he wants us to do it constantly. Yes, when we do good for others, it's like we're wearing work boots rather than dress shoes. And the reason we put on our work boots is because we want to work for Jesus. We want to do good. We want to help others. We want to be profitable in God's sight. Yes, he tells us to be careful to maintain good works. And he says it's profitable to men. And it's really a double blessing. When you do something good for someone, do you feel good or do you feel bad? You feel good, right? It's a blessing to you. I know Cindy, for example, when she serves the Lord, she gets happy, right, Cindy? You're, you're fulfilled, you're satisfied because you're, you're helping others. And the person that is being helped is also blessed. So it's like a double blessing when we do good works. Is It's a blessing for us and it's a blessing for the person that we're doing it for. There was a man named Emmett Abraham who said, we will remem be remembered only by the good work we leave behind, even if our own do not remember us after we're gone. We want to leave a mark. We want to leave a legacy. We want to leave a blessing. And you know one thing I can say for sure, that uh, two people that I love very much, Adel and Sylvia, have left us an example to follow. They have given us an example to follow. And should the Lord take them first, 
He would want us to carry on the ministry because the baton gets placed from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Even in this audience this morning and those listening by the internet, we have several, we have different generations. We have, we have the older ones that are going to pass the generation to the ones in the middle, and then the ones in the middle are going to pass it to the, to the kids that are growing up. The Haley's, the, the Addie's, the, the Ina's, the, all the kids, the Sydney's, all the, you're going to take it on. Brianna and Kayla and all you kids are going to take on that responsibility of the ministry. And so we have to leave you with a legacy. We have to leave a mark so that you will carry it on for the Lord Jesus Christ. It never ends. We carry it forward as we go. Yes, you know, Christians are really the only people in the world, the only people in the world that will do good to others even when others do bad things to them. Because Jesus taught us that. He taught us to love our enemies. He taught us to pray for them. He, he taught us to, to uh, do good to them. And only Christians can do that. Uh, people in the world, they'll do good to you if you do good to them. Their whole expression is, uh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? You do good to me, I'll do good to you. But if you do bad to me, I'll do worse to you. That's how the world looks at it. But only Christians can continue doing good even when things are bad or people are bad. And certainly we see it in the world today. So let's remember as we conclude this message, these four faithful sayings, the two we had last week, Christ came into the world to save sinners. He was born on the in Bethlehem's manger and he died on the cross for our sins. That is a faithful saying. And the second one is we live and endure with Christ. And as we remember it, we died with Christ and we live with Christ. He is our life. And when we endure, we reign with him. And if we deny him, he will deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And then today we saw that godliness is profitable for all things. Bodily exercise profits a little. And it profits enough to have us do it. We should exercise. We should do it. We should keep healthy. We should do those things that promote uh, our, our bodies. But remember that that is nothing compared to godliness. And we want to be godly people in our character, our conduct, and our conversation. And there are things that we can do, and we talked about the spiritual calisthenics of prayer, of the Word of God, of fellowship, of, of relationships, and walking by faith and serving others. And then to be careful to do good works. And not just to do them occasionally, but to do them constantly. To help others, to serve others, to do good works. And may the Lord encourage us this Christmas season when we meet people that don't know the Lord, we'll have a story to tell them and they will listen because they will see that our lives are different. You know, if they don't see that your life is different, why should they listen to you? Why should they want to get saved? But when our lives back up our words, it is something they'll want to hear.
Shall we just pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the Lord Jesus Christ who was born for us, came into this world and died on the cross and rose again. And we thank you, Lord, that we live with you, we endure with you, we serve you, and we just pray that you will help us, Lord, to exercise ourselves to godliness and to realize how important it is to be a godly person and also, Lord, to maintain good works. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. We pray for our fellowship before we go home. We pray for those on, online that are watching, that they'll be blessed. And, Lord, we just pray that this Christmas season will be our best one yet, even with the world in such an uproar and so fearful of what might happen. Help us to put people at ease by talking about things that really matter the coming of Christ. And so we just thank you and praise you in your precious name. Amen.